welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. My name is Amber Kluwer, and I've lived with type 1 diabetes for decades and enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living with this disease. Before we dive into this episode, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, the Diabetes Daily Grind is a nonprofit, charitable organization. Funds raised help keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. It's easy. Just purchase a copy of Doing Diabetes Differently or click the donate link on my website. Number two, stay engaged on all things social media, sign up for the e-newsletter, and subscribe to my newly updated YouTube channel where this episode will soon be live. Enough rambling. Let's get started. Today's guest, Katie Bone, had the diabetes community in awe of her drive and competitive spirit. This 17-year-old is already a nationally ranked rock climber, member of the Speed Youth National Team, and now the champion of the third ever American Ninja Warrior Women's Championship. She is recognized as one of the youngest females to ever earn a coveted spot in the Ninja Warrior Finals, and is not only the youngest female to ever win the championship, but she's the only female in the history of the show to complete a stage two finals course in Las Vegas. I have no idea what that means, but I know it's a big deal, especially, I don't care if female or not. So, Katie, welcome to the show, and thank you for taking time to have this conversation. Thank you so much for having me on. Let's start with, where are you calling in from? I am currently in Denver, Colorado. I blew out my knee in February, so I've had surgery out here, and I'm doing physical therapy. So I'm back and forth between New Mexico, which is home base, and Denver, Colorado. Well, Denver's not a bad place to be. Nope. That's not true. <laughs> Denver. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry to hear about your knee, and we can talk about it if you want. I know that with being a comp- mm-hmm. an incredible athlete, injuries do happen. Yeah, of let's course. speak a little bit about that. It's how'd you blow it out, and what's the recovery look like? I was at the USA Climbing Team Trials in the end of February, and I just took a weird fall. I my knee kind of rotated, and I heard three or four pops, mm-hmm. and I fully tore my ACL, both sides of my meniscus, MCL, and LCL. And then I had surgery mid-March. But the ACL is unfortunately a really long recovery. Yeah. So it takes about a year to get back to where I was and really two years to feel back to 100%. Wow. Well, we all wish you a speedy recovery and okay. look forward to seeing you compete hopefully Thank in you. the future. I appreciate it. Okay. So there's so many things I want to dive into. Let's, I want to start with, and this is kind of an unusual question on my part, but reading your intro and how much you've accomplished at such a young age. How does that make you feel when somebody starts listing off all these incredible things? It's so surreal that those things are things that I've accomplished, things that I've wanted since I was really little and dreams that I've written down and had for so many years and to have been able to accomplish them in the past few years has been really incredible. But there's also so many dreams that I still still have yet to achieve in climbing and ninja. But just hearing all these huge accomplishments that I've wanted for so long and have worked so hard for is such an incredible and just surreal feeling and moment every single time. Okay. And so there's so many questions I can barely talk to. As a young person, I think about all of the athletic goals that I had as a person. And living with type 1 diabetes definitely made that a little bit more difficult. I want to start with who, what was the inspiration for rock climbing? It's not like you're running track or... It's more common sports, let me just say that. So yeah, what got you started? My brother wanted to go to the rock climbing gym for his 10th birthday. And he had been asking a couple times before that, and we just never went. And then we went for his birthday. And we climbed every so once in a while. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up joining a team and started competing. But from the first day that I walked into the gym, I just I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the movement. I have been super athletic since I was little. I've done a ton of different sports. 
But climbing was the one thing that felt right. It made sense from that first moment and it has continued to make sense. There's some athletes who, after they're out of the youth circuit, they're just ready to move on to the next thing, which is valid. Yeah. But for me, it just like, it just continues to make sense. And all of the pieces make sense, even on the hard days and the hard moments and competitions and training sessions. Every single time I go, it's just like, this is where I'm meant to be. Oh, that's great. Well, and I think about too, when people have interviewed quite a few people that have to train on a regular basis and are serious athletes, some of them, it's easier to get out of bed to get there than others. So do you feel like you pop out of bed and like, whoa, can't wait to go rock climb today because it's so exciting, you know? No, <laughs> no, especially doing it for so long. Like every athlete goes through seasons of burnt out and, and just yeah. months of that. And I've definitely dealt with that, especially in the last couple of years especially doing two sports and within yeah. those, there's so many different things and climbing, there's three different disciplines and you have to train all three all year round. There is no off season, like you're competing and training and figuring out like how to be at peak all year round, which is you can't do because you're just going to get burnt out. Yeah. But no, there's a lot of days, especially since my knee injury to find the motivation to go to the gym and yeah. do PT every single day is, is brutal. So now it's, some days I'm like, okay, just just get to the gym, do mm -hmm. some of the things, even if you can't do all of it. And it doesn't have to be your best day. You don't have to be physically strong. But for me, it's like, okay, show up and do the thing. And yeah. sometimes it was, especially before the knee, when I was training so much, I had weeks every single day. I did not want to go to the gym, but my goals were big enough that it's like, okay, just show up. Even if it sucks, even if you're tired, even if you're all of these things, because winning doesn't care who you are. They, yeah. It doesn't care work you put in if you're sore you're tired unmotivated doesn't care if it's been easy or hard for you you have to show up if you want it I think that also my words not yours relates a lot to life with type 1 diabetes because <laughs> you have to show up I mean, especially on the days that you don't want to so let's dive into a little bit about your life with diabetes let's let's go into your diagnosis story so when I was 11 years old in 2017 I was at a fairly big climbing competition and I had a Gatorade before I competed like I just I was so drained and I needed some energy my parents were like here try this right and I was in isolation which is where we have to be where before we're competing because we can't see any of the climbs or talk to other people oh I was feeling terrible and obviously Gatorade has a ton of carbs yeah and I slowly just felt more and more sick I felt like throwing up I felt so drained like I felt like I hadn't gotten any rest in so long and as an athlete, you're very in tune with your body. And I always have been since a young age. So I knew something was wrong. I just obviously didn't know what. I climbed terribly. I did not even make it to finals. It was probably to that point my worst comp ranking. It was definitely mentally hard because my brother had been competing and climbing at that time. And he, he won that competition, which was <laughs> big for him. But I had to go to nationals like two weeks later. Yeah. But anyway, two days, like two, three days after this competition, we went to urgent care thinking it was like a UTI or something because I was having to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And then and I was diagnosed then. So did you go straight from urgent care to Children's Hospital? Where did you go from there? So the urgent care was in the hospital. They're like, you have diabetes and they had no rooms available. So I was like in an urgent care bed for a couple of hours. That's where we did the first shot. Like we were there all day. And then they finally got a bed open and I was there for two days. And the diabetic educator doesn't work on the weekends. And so she didn't want us to have to stay there for multiple extra days if I didn't necessarily need it. Yeah. So we just stayed in contact with her. And then, yeah, so I was only there for two days. And then I went climbing a couple of days later. That's pretty incredible. 
Okay. So I think about, and I even did a little YouTube video a long time ago about my diagnosis day, very different 40 years ago. <laughs> what was going through your mind? I mean, when they told you you had type 1 diabetes, did you even know what it was? Did you know anybody? I didn't know like what all of it entailed. My grandma had type 1, so I heard the oh. word diabetes, but okay. I had no clue what I meant. And the scariest part about it is she was really sick from complications of it and ended up passing away later that year due to complications of it. So that was that was what I knew. Mm. I thought of like, well, now what? Like, will I be able to ever compete at the same level or do the things that I want to do? Because I didn't know anything about it. And I knew one scary vision of it. Yeah. But I remember like what I was doing and just what we were going to end up doing that day. I remember what I ate, what I was wearing, all of the things. Yeah. And the doctor said diabetes. And I just like, I just sat down next to my mom and I cried. And it felt like the world just like came crashing down on me. Like I felt everything in me just left my body. It was the scariest moment because I didn't know anything. Sure. I was a normal 11-year-old girl and now just scary diagnosis. It's a definitely a flip. I mean, for everybody diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, it's a flip of the switch. And unfortunately, you had a, a person in your life that you saw the complications and all the, the negative things that can come with the disease, which is you know, is a part of life. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry that your grandmother had such a hard time. And do you know, I don't know why you would know this off the top of your head, but how old was she when she was diagnosed? I think she was in her 30s, I okay. want to say. Yeah, I want to say 30s. She passed away when she was 65. So yeah, I want to say 30s. And it's just at that point in the tech that she like grew up with and yeah, it just, it's not the same as it was. So she just couldn't get the care she needed yeah. or the doctors that she really needed to to thrive with type one, unfortunately. But, well, and it's so crazy. I mean, it's so great that, I mean, it sucks that we have diabetes, don't get me wrong, but it is great that the technology is now so advanced that life with it, and it allows you to compete and we'll get into that a little bit more. I will say that I put out the fact that I was going to be interviewing you because I had so many people email me and I sent an email to your mom is please interview Katie, please interview Katie. I was like, listen, people, I'm trying. Like, <laughs> I got to jump through some hoops. This woman is busy. And so I put out that I was going to interview and a lot of people have questions. So I'm going to read a couple of the questions throughout this interview um, to be good to my listeners. So Monica wants to know, if you've had to remove your insulin pump and CGM for a few days, for whatever reason, do you know how to manage your diabetes via multiple daily injections and a meter? I do. I had one day, I don't remember what happened, but I ended up not, I think I lost my transmitter. So I didn't have that. So we had to do, I had to like poke. It was just for the night because a little boy that I babysit, because we were going out of town the next day, we had to like go and just borrow their transmitter. I don't think I've had to be without my pump though for multiple days. I've had days where I don't know why, but I'm like, it's just like, no matter what I do, I'm super high. So if I do an injection, like a unit or two into my shoulder, it'll work really quickly. And it'll just work faster. So I've like done that, but I haven't been like solely just on shots and since I was diagnosed. Okay. And let's talk about this from the moment you, how quickly did you go to being on an insulin pump after diagnosis? Within the first few months, like I'd say three months in. Yeah. What insulin pump therapy do you choose to use now? I'm on Omnipod and I've been on that since I was diagnosed. And then for my CGM, I'm on Dexcom. Then, you know, and if you have not seen Katie perform, it's, she wears her gear loud and proud. And that's <laughs> another question that comes up, which I appreciate. I totally respect it because people are like, oh my gosh, I swear she had a, she is a diabetic. And I'm like, okay, let's not use that word, but whatever. Okay. So one of the questions was Blake's daughter wants to know if you get annoyed when the announcers talk too much about your diabetes. 
I don't because it's a part of my story and I it's a TV show like right I can't control what they say and I'm not going to be annoyed when it's getting talked about more and I'm going to be able to reach more people and people are yeah. going to I'm not ashamed of it I'm not going to be like oh they're just like yeah you know all about that I've had a few points where I'm like okay it felt like I was getting defined by that which yeah. I had to way and I had to be and some of the news I was like look this is a part of my story but it's not the whole story like there's more to this there's more to the training and all the things that I'm doing so no I've had interviews and some things where I'm like I'm not letting you define it and there was one headline on I don't remember what it was but it was like it was like type 1 diabetic 16 year old gets a buzzer something like that a lot of the comments were like mm-hmm. why did they headline yeah. and I think that headline wasn't terrible because it gets people's attention of what it is sure but like leading with it was like, okay, they're justifying my accomplishment and how great it is by that, which right. it does get more amazing because of all the things that I was dealing with. But no, if I just don't let it define me like mentally, I'm fine with it. Like I can't control it. They're going to talk about what they want to talk about. It just, yeah. it's whatever they want to focus on for that. Oh, that's a great attitude. And I bring this up too. And I love the fact that Blake's daughter was questioning that because I'm a graduate of the University of Oklahoma and love watching sooner football and I'll never forget watching a game and Mark Andrews they were like oh and he has type 1 diabetes and it just kept going into diabetes and I was like can we just let this rest and then you know further through the season seeing the outpouring of kids and parents like oh my gosh you can play football at this level and so I look at it and I changed my tune you are really an inspiration for a lot of people and so that's a a big weight to wear but you're doing a really good job (laughs) and like I chose to talk about it. I gave that to them. That was yeah. what my interviews were about. Like, if I didn't want to talk about that, I could have told them that. But that's what I wanted to avoid. Yeah. A lot of people on the show get annoyed that they talk about the teenagers so much and compare it to age. They're like, can you just talk about the competition? Which I can, I can yeah. appreciate that because, like, in the women's championship, they were very focused on LeBrecht's age and my age, especially when we were racing. Mm-hmm. But no matter what, they're going to talk about something and it's going to be like, they're going to repeat it. So I was like, well, I'd rather have it be something that can be impactful. Okay. Now here's going back to one of your answers a second ago, not being defined as, which I totally appreciate. Only in the past couple of years have people gone from using, how do you feel about someone saying you're a diabetic? Or yeah, you're a diabetic. I've had conversations with people about this and I've seen comments on some posts that people are, do not like it. Yeah. And I'm like... I don't know. I don't think I've really like personally been like, oh, don't call me that. Right. Because the reality of the thing is, and I know people are going to disagree with this and that's totally fine. Mm. Like what you call like, that's mm-hmm. your opinion. But personally, I just, I don't care enough. Like, yeah, I, I just don't. I am. It's a part of me and it's a part of my story. And it's something that I am very open about. Right. But I'm not going to let it just be defined as like the type one diabetic girl, the <laughs> diabetic girl. Because I've seen headlines, <laughs> like I've seen things when people have searched it like that. Yeah. But personally, I just don't care enough. It's not the thing that's the focus for me because yeah. me advocating and people being more aware of what this is, is going to get it out there. Absolutely. And it will eventually have the conversations of, I'd rather not be called this. Yeah. So personally, I just don't care enough. Well, and I, I didn't care. I'm like, I got a serious backlash in the beginning of the podcast when I started, because I used the word diabetic. And then I changed my tune to people people living with diabetes. And I was like, I have diabetic tattooed on my wrist. There's no getting away from the fact that I'm a diabetic. So and I, I think yeah, what anyone is dealing with, they have the things that like, I would rather not be called this and yeah. or be defined in this, this verbiage, which is totally fine. But right. for me, 
personally, I, I'm a diabetic. Like I, I am. I'm also all these other things. That's right. I'm an athlete. I'm a teenager. I'm a sister. Do- like I'm all of yeah. these other things, but I am a diabetic as well. That's just one, I'm one like, piece I don't of the puzzle. Care enough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, with being an advocate, I want to say Jessica, whose daughter is also a JDRF youth ambassador, asks, what was your experience being in Washington, Washington, D.C. for Children's Congress? It was so amazing. I, in 2019, attended as a delegate and watching all of the celebrity role models was so incredible. When I went as a delegate, I, that was two weeks before I competed on American, American Warrior Junior, which I was like, that would be so cool if I can compete on the adult show and have a big enough platform where I could come back as a role model. Right. Like it's so fun and you get to inspire people and just talk to them. Like they just want to ask you questions and you get to answer them and inspire and get to relate and just all the things which is so incredible but since women's has just had just aired like that was a very relevant thing for Mm -hmm. children's congress which was super cool to see all the people that wanted to meet me and wanted photos and just and all the things and getting to do all the behind the scenes stuff with the old with the other role models was so crazy and i'm just like i'm sitting in a room with all of them doing the same thing and now friends with them it's it's so cool no, that's great. And to be around other people that are like you. I mean, that you're there to advocate for this disease. In the and the hearing and at the yeah. dinner. And, I mean, everybody's CGMs go off and <laughs> someone's low, someone's high, someone's dropped. And everyone knows what? what the alarms are. No, it's it's really incredible. And it's really inspiring just to see all of these kids and get to hear their stories and what they're going through and how Absolutely. they're overcoming type one and raising awareness in their in their life. Do you have any people living with type one in your regular social circles? No, there's one other kid on the show. He has type one. I raced him on American Ninja Warrior Junior. And I saw that. Yeah. It's we're fast. Um, God, it's fast. Yeah, he is an incredible <laughs> athlete. We're friends now, which is really cool. And we can just relate. I remember I was at a ninja competition and we were talking about his numbers on the show when he competed on the first season mm-hmm. and, and the struggles that he dealt with, which was like, it's hard to hear it when it's from someone else that like you had had a loss because of type one. No, but it's great to get to like talk to each other and relate. And I went to filming this year to just watch and he was there and yeah, they're like getting his, his snacks or he has a tube to come so he needs to take it off like right before he competes. But it's great to like be in the same place and at the same level and then just kind of get to maybe talk about all of that stuff. Yeah, that's great. Having somebody in that space too, because of their, I'm sure I oh, mean, you're sure. in such a unique little niche market whatever okay so here's another question and i don't know who it's by but when performing do you use additional tools to help keep your pod and dexcom in place i do not there have been times my dexcom's about to fall off and i don't feel like changing it i'll do like the over patches yeah being lazy but generally it's fine i just have extra stuff like i've knocked it off in climbing i've never knocked anything off in ninja surprisingly Mm. so i've hit rope i was doing a climb where i like I knocked my pump off with my knee somehow, like in the <laughs> ground. So that's great. Or when I'm speed climbing, so I have like the auto belay mm-hmm. and I put it behind my arm. Yeah. So I, before a speed climbing competition, I have to make sure my pump is on my left arm. Otherwise, I will generally knock it off. So that's like one thing that's just like in the back of my mind. I'm like, cool, I've speed. Like I either need to change it or three days before be like, okay, we need to put it on this arm. So there's planning. There's a lot of planning that goes into it before or competition. Or before, before filming. I make sure to not change my pump super close to before I'm going to run because it needs the time to set because if it gets yeah. wet, 
it just won't stick as well. So I make mm-hmm. sure to either change it like the night before or like super early, like right when I wake up or something, if it yeah. inspires me. Mm-hmm. It's another layer of being sure. a type one, all the things you have to do and priority. In, in my brain, like I don't have to, it's just a natural thing at this point. <laughs> You're programmed. <laughs> okay. So Anne and Jameson had a few similar questions. So I, this is kind of a three-part simple series that what's your free workout plan? So I mean, do you carb, do you carb up? Do you, you know? Yeah. I don't because it just changes. I'm like, I can eat the exact same thing and I'll, I can go really low that day or go really high that day or be perfect that day. Like me keeping the same thing is kind of, <laughs> it's not pointless, but it's like, well, it changes anyway. Like you get into a rhythm of it, but yeah. if I'm training in the morning or competing super early in the morning, I don't usually eat something unless I'm like really, really hungry right when I wake up. Mm-hmm. I always have coffee. So I do it before competition so I don't get a headache or anything. And then I'll do, if I'm on the lower end, just so I don't go high, I'll usually have matcha because that's like, yeah. I just don't cover all of it if I'm competing yeah. fairly in the next two hours. And it'll be a little bump. So by the time I start warming up, it doesn't just crash because I will usually crash in the mornings. And then I take pre-workout, which the nice thing about the one that I take, it has a few carbs. Mm-hmm. And if I'm just like slowly drinking it, just because I don't drink it super fast throughout my warm up, it'll like giving me a little bit of glucose, which yeah. is really nice. And then for low snacks, I do like the honey stinger gummies or applesauce. The really nice thing about the honey stinger gummies for me is if I take like one or two, I can like slowly keep adding them in until it's like oh, enough yeah. Versus like applesauce could be too little or too many, but I can like incrementally just add it in and they work really quick and they feel light, give me a little bit of energy. They don't make me feel sick. Yeah. Or too, be too heavy on your stomach too, especially sure. if you're going to be doing something athletic. And then I recently found these little like granola bites. I got them from Target. They taste really good. I actually discovered them in DC. But again, they have like two or three carbs. They taste really good. So those are really nice for training if I just like want a little snack and yeah. I'm hungry or I feel snacky and I'm a little bit low. Well, and one of their questions, which I think you've already addressed, was how do you stay in range? And if you're slowly bringing in carbs during that, that kind of makes sense to that question. But on the other end of it for, so adrenaline will make you go really hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if you do insulin, you'll just like crash. Right. Uh, You do a lot, a big correction, which I've learned that the hard way a few times. (laughs) So if I have like an adrenaline spike, I'll do like incremental boluses. Yep. So it's like slowly doing correction so I don't have a big crash. It definitely drops a little slower and I'm going to be a little bit more drained, but it's better than being really high and not feeling good from that. Mm-hmm. And then super low and not feeling good from that and then having no snacks. So I'll usually do an increase in my insulin and then I'll do like incremental boluses until, and then I'll usually end up competing anywhere from like 180 to 230 if it's, if I'm in that situation. Okay. And that was one of the questions too, which again, I think you just answered, but they said, what do you consider your peak performance number to be? And I've asked this to a lot of athletes, like, where do you feel your best going into? And you're, you're so adrenaline. And that's like one big ball of adrenaline. I don't know how you can make what, what yeah, what's your go-to uh, number going in? Usually like 100 to 160, I can feel good. Yeah. If it's like below 100, I feel fine. But I feel like I start to get a little bit shakier and a little bit just like lower energy. But under like 70, I feel, I don't feel good to compete, but I still, like I've had to compete at. Yeah. I actually competed in semifinals on Ninja Warrior and I was like 28 and you can Ooh. see it. Yeah. You can see it in my face and I cannot see the bar. And I unfortunately fell on like a super techie obstacle, but I, I just, I couldn't see it. I did not feel good. I felt like I was going to pass out. Like that was a brutal night for me. Well, yeah. Um, but okay, yeah, well- so I felt both sides of it, of being 
so high that it doesn't even know what my number is and then being in the 20s. And I think that also comes with your age and everything else. It's like there's so many other factors there that diabetes isn't always kind to. And so let's just say after yeah, really hard for competitions because the other thing is like, I don't know why, but like I'll always like start right before a big competition, like every single time, which makes you go really high. So I have like that variable. So that's been a fun variable to figure out. But yeah, so or being sick, like all the things change it all up, which is which makes it the roller coaster that diabetes is, is a big one. Yes. Ever changing too. And I think it's really great that we're talking about the fact that we're talking about menstrual cycles for anybody who's not up to the speed with all this that, you know, we didn't know before until there were CGMs to where you could really just see your numbers go up and you're like, what the heck, man? I am got all the insulin. It's like, what? And I have like weeks and like, why am I going high for no reason? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, got it. But no, it was, so I started last year. I started like right before qualifying. So it's every single time, like before a big competition, <laughs> not figuring out after the injury, but then two weeks later was semifinals and I started right before that. And then four weeks later was Vegas and I started right before that. And I don't know if it's stress or I don't know, but it's stress. So that was that added variable of like really like two weeks and then four weeks. So yeah. I think that that should be another like little checkbox on your introduction. And she usually starts a mental cycle days before, I mean, or something like. We were a totally different layer. With a, yeah, I was drinking some of the friends because there was only, I think it was like six or seven other guys and me who cleared the qualifying course. And my friends and I were joking and they're like, and I did a bleeding, so. <laughs> yes, I love that so much. <laughs> okay, so when you do compete, when you're finished, how do you celebrate? What Win or lose? I mean, I don't care, but I mean, you've got to, you put your body through a lot and you made it through it. How do um, you celebrate? It varies. I'm I'm just competing so much. Like there's seasons where I'm competing every single weekend. So it's like I'm not gonna just go and eat whatever I want. Like if I still want to feel good to train for that week for the next thing. Right. After the women's championship, it was it was like because it's filmed overnight. So it was like 5 a.m. or 4:30 when we were like finally leaving set. My stuff is in like four places or kicking us off. I'm having to sign paperwork and trying to take photos of the trophy because unfortunately I don't. It's a prop, but. Yeah. So there was a lot going on. And then I finally got back to the hotel, set all my stuff down. I don't know how I accumulated so much stuff. I felt like I went in with one bag, <laughs> came out four. And then I was really hungry. During Vegas, the whole week, I wasn't really able to eat, especially before I was competing. Like I took a bite of something and it made me so nauseous. And like the mm. thought of it made me nauseous. So I was like, I, I just want food. Like that's all I want. So it's like 6 a.m. We went and just like got some breakfast, which felt great. And then it was like a fairly big group of us. And I kind of forgot about women's. Like, I didn't forget, but I kind of forgot. Like, we were just having normal conversations yeah. as girls. Like, it was great. And then I had been craving a muffin from Starbucks all week. A and single muffin? A muffin. And a <laughs> strawberry refresher. That is all I wanted <laughs> all week. Funny. Because there's all, because we're in Vegas, there's Starbucks everywhere. everywhere. And I was like, I just really want a muffin or like, <laughs> banana bread like that is what i want strawberry refresher so i got a blueberry muffin and a banana nut bread and a strawberry refresher and that was that was what i had That's i hilarious. don't hi after either i was very very proud of that and <laughs> i had been with someone all week like i was with a parent or a friend all week because you have to have a guardian on set okay so this was like the first moment all week that i was like by myself and i was like oh my gosh i can just i can just sit just sit on my phone Being and fine. yeah think for three hours it was great yeah, that's what I did after women. 
Well, and that's what I was going to ask you is like, how do you tune out? Like you're in such a busy schedule. Yeah. So yeah. How do you tune out? Lots of different things. Like I'll, before competitions to kind of get away from all of the chaos, Mm -hmm. I will listen to some music and just like sit in a corner and read one of my books or just like right before I compete, kind of meditate and visualize things that are going to happen, which is what I did for qualifying. We went and did rules and then we went back, I went back into like the holding area. I sat in a corner and just like listened to music and was meditating, but I was visualizing every single thing that I was going to do from like walking over to the stairs, walking up and how I would do the obstacles. And then I did everything that I did on the course was exactly how I visualized it. I had dreams leading up to the first qualifying episode and, and how I hit the buzzer was exactly how I hit it. I had a dream of me just like slapping the buzzer. And then when I was like at the work wall, I was, I'm actually going to do it. So when you, when I can like visualize everything I'm going to do and then execute it the exact same way, and I can walk off that course or walk away from that climb doing that, it's such a great feeling. I'm a huge huge component of meditation and affirmations. So do you have any affirmations or things that you say to psych yourself up or on a daily basis just for every day? Like, I'm, I'm not going to give you any examples. I want you to tell me what you say, but (laughs) (laughs) it's. So actually on stage two in the women's championship, it's a long night. You're running a lot of courses. You're running multiple times. You're doing interviews. Like it's, it's a lot. And after I've already being in Vegas on set every night for a week, but when I was on stage two, I got flash pumped really early, which means like, I just, I didn't warm up as well. So I like instantly felt that I got pumped and I felt really tired when I was on the obstacle honeycombs, which is where most of the other females fell. I was tired. I just wanted to be done. Mm-hmm. But I knew I had more in me. Like I've done harder things in training. I was like, like yeah. you can you can do this. Like you're not you're not falling, and you can see it in the episode that I like mouth to myself and I say, "Come on, Katie," which I'd done it one other time for Hammer Down, which is where I like jumped to the big obstacle and it like just dropped. Yeah, and you can like see me mouth it, which was cool. My coach and I were talking about it because I asked him. I was like, "Did it look like a?" Because the commentators were like a flip to switch, and I was like, "Did it look like that to you?" He was like, "Yes." He was like, you just in that moment decided that you were going to do it. And that was it. Which I remember a lot of my feelings and thoughts on that course. I don't normally remember. Like, I just kind of black out. Right. And remember nothing. But I remember so much from stage two. And I remember being on the last obstacle. And like, you're not falling. Your hands get on it. You're staying on it. And and being able to like execute that and being like, okay, you're doing the thing was was really cool. I don't know how you do the spider climb or whatever. My hands would be so sweaty. I mean, like, I'd be slipping down stuff. I mean, I know you've got the grip on your shoes, but by God. Like, and it's, during the you can't use chalk either, which as a climber, like, I use chalk all the time. So training in Ninja before filming, I was like, okay, well, we got to train without chalk. So that was a hard switch because I'm just so used to it and just, I like chalk. Well, yeah. Unfortunately, yes. not use chalk on the show. Well, here's the thing, and this is, I don't know if I should ask this, but you come into the competition decked out. You look great. Your hair looks great. You've got it in your bow. You've got all the things going on. And then you fall in the water. It's like, damn, you know, damn. Like, do you wear a waterproof mascara? What's going on there? Because you, so, you still look great. So when I got ready for qualifying, I put my hair like in a bun, which if that gets wet, that's not going to look good. I also have curly hair, but I've used tea and kind of, I've highlighted it for so long that my curls and I just don't really take care of them they don't look that good when they dry like it's just really frizzy and <laughs> not not a look i called one of my friends and i was like okay 
I just need to say this. And I know this sounds really bad, but I just need to tell you. And she knows me really well. I was like, do you know what some of my motivation tonight to not fall is? She was like, let me guess. To not get your hair wet. I was like, wet. Yes. And I, after I cleared qualifying, I like called her and I was like, I did not get my hair wet. Like we did the thing. But yeah, that was my motivation for, for qualifying. And then for women's on stage, actually on stage two, once I got over a certain obstacle and I knew that I was on stage four, I didn't have any more dry clothes unless I was going to wear like an ugly outfit that I didn't want to wear. I was like, okay, well, don't fall now. You don't have more clothes. <laughs> and I was going to be on stage two with wet shoes too. So there, there was like a lot of things that huh. I was more unprepared for. And I just was like, okay, cool. And the reason I did that is I did have another pair of dry shoes. But I was like, okay, if I'm on stage four, I want dry shoes for sure. Like stage yeah. two, other than the first obstacle is upper body. Like it doesn't really matter if I have wet shoes. Yeah. So I competed on stage two like intentionally in wet shoes. But but yeah, I didn't have another dry outfit unless I wanted to be in like shorts and this weird tank top that did not match. And I was like, I don't want to be on shorts, <laughs> harness. Like that just, the angle doesn't feel comfortable. The water's unfortunate sometimes. You want to look your best. There's no, there's no going around that. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to one friend and near she competed. I don't remember what course it was, but she did not wear waterproof mascara, but like as a motivation factor. And she ended up clearing, which I was like, oh, all that's of, smart. We were, we're all just like joking because everyone's wearing makeup. Like we're all joking yeah. about it. just don't wear waterproof mascara for the extra motivation. And then one of my friends rejected me. She was like, that reminds me, I need to bring waterproof mascara. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, funny. But yeah, no, there's, it's, it's cool. Okay, so in the women's competition in particular, competing in those levels where you might be the youngest person, mm -hmm. do you get mad support from the other competitors or? Okay. Yeah, so we're all really good friends and we have been before competing. Like, personally for me, I don't look at it like competing against them. I'm competing with them. Like, yeah, it's how I perform. And I know there's athletes in the past that have like wanted someone to fall or something. So that they win. But I'm like, for me, I want to win because you had your best day and I had my best day. And I want my best day to be better. And yeah. for the work that I've put in to show in that aspect. I don't want to win because you had a really bad day. I don't want to win because you fell or slipped or had just a yeah. weird day. I want everyone to have their best. And, and for all of my friends and all of them to have that moment, because I know what it feels like to not have it for so long. And then finally, I have this thing of like, I had my moment. And I think every athlete deserves to, to feel that and have their moment. For anyone out there who's an athlete or a competitor in any capacity, those are really good words to live by because the energy that you put out, you get back in return. Yeah. And I will wrap this interview up with just a few just simple questions with, and we kind of touched on this outside of training. What do you like to do for fun? I like to sleep. <laughs> it is great. I very normal teenager in that aspect. I will sleep in all day. After the women's championship, I slept for 19 hours straight. Oh, yeah. I was so tired. I hadn't slept for like 30 plus hours. And an after. insulin pump allows you to do that because it keeps an eye on things. You know it's what I mean? Great. That's yeah. I, yes. I don't have to be woken up to poke or any of yeah. that. I slept for 19 hours straight. I woke up, couldn't figure out what time it was, if it was morning or evening. I got up for like an hour eight and then I went back to bed for like a full night's sleep. So I'm a very normal teenager in that aspect. But other than that, like there's some periods where it's like in the fall, I love to just go to the park with my dog and just yeah. like hang out and unplug and that's like a really good thing for me mentally or just go and read i also babysit love all of my kids i haven't done it in a while because of my knee but yeah but that's been great i babysit a kid who has type one so yeah being on the other end of that has been awesome 
that's scary. I like, I, yeah. I've had parents ask me and I was like, I just don't know if I could keep anybody else alive. Like I can barely do it for myself. First time I was like, <laughs> it's not just watching a kid because there's two boys. And I'm like, boys are just used to girls. I love my girls. I don't think I'm in mom. But I was just like, this is so scary. I have this whole just like life in my hands and you do as it is, but it feels very different, obviously. But no, it's been awesome to be able to help them out when they don't really have anyone else who can watch them for more, watch them for more than 30 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Well, and one of the other things, because I have so many, I'm so much older than you, good God, is I have a lot of friends who have children. I do not have children, but have children that are either in high school or early college. We've been going through rush. We've been dealing with applications. So because of your lifestyle and being such a strong competitor, do you go to traditional school or... So I'm yeah. schooled and then okay. I do credit college classes, which are all okay. on, online and I'm going into my senior year. But for college, I am going to do it online and live in Denver. I'll like move, move to Colorado, hopefully in the next year or so. And then just be doing college online because I can't, I really know what I'm going to do. And I yeah. do not have to do in person. I don't, people are like, oh, to do the, to be social and do the dorm experience. I could care less about that. Like I really <laughs> I'm good with my five friends and <laughs> and I'm also like you're busy you've got other things other you know what I mean like you've got a life I don't want to be good friends with people who are like personally partying all the time like that doesn't do yeah. anything goals like that's yeah. not that's not me at all and I'm like so, so I'm doing good I'm like oh, I don't really right. have experience to then in a year have to find another living place college yeah, so I'm like, I, I'm good at doing it online and then still being able to train and compete and travel and do all the things that, that I personally want to do and want to do for as long as I can. Okay, so with this is the last question, I swear. So residing in Denver, hopefully for a bit, do you snowboard, ski? What's your, when you can, I know your knee obviously is not allowing you to do that, but. When we can, I'll go snowboarding. And we used to do it a lot more when we were younger, but just with my brother and his all of his activities and just really competing all year round. I just don't have a ton of time for all of that extra stuff. Yeah, uh, which is for me. But when we do snowboarding, for sure. <laughs> and if you were to give a piece of advice or words of encouragement to someone newly diagnosed with type one or to a parent with a kiddo that's newly diagnosed, what would you say? There's you can do so much even with type one, and your life didn't end. Like it's going to change, but there's there's a lot that you can do, and I don't know what that looks like and you don't know what that looks like yet yeah. but eventually you will be okay because type one has shown me how to be so much stronger and has shown me how to be a fighter and it's truly shown me what it means to like work hard I would not be the person or the athlete that I am today without it as much as some days it just sucks and I just mm. I just want to be done with it I can't but it's also shown me so much and there's so much in the last year that I wouldn't have done I would not be be doing this interview right now I wouldn't have gone to yeah. children's congress so type one is as much as it's taken from me it has also given me so much and there's so much more that you can learn and discover and and do with your life even with type one and it's really incredible to see to see what that is well good on you for all your advocacy efforts and for being such a positive role model diabetes or not you're doing great things and I know that myself and everyone in the diabetes community can't wait to see you compete again You've got a whole different cheerleading section that not everybody has. And yeah, you're definitely impacting people's lives. Well, Katie, thank you so much for taking the time and good luck with your recovery. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on today. 
As I wrap up, I want to remind you that I'm here for my diapeeps and the medical community. So feel free to contact me at diabetesdailygrind.com. Your continued support and love help keep the episodes coming. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone. Yes, I